keep your, your finger in James chapter number 2, and then you can also turn with me over to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. We're going to take a peek into Hebrews uh, as kind of a springboard into our text this evening. But uh, I sure hope you have uh, enjoyed our series and study through faith and works out of James chapter number 2 as we continue just to methodically work through uh, the book of James. Uh, we'll be kicking off uh, Lord Moyne chapter 3 next week and uh, excited to continue our way through it as we see so much wisdom and so much practical teaching and understanding and doctrine through this book of James. And I hope you're soaking it up and learning and growing along with us. And uh, we're excited to continue to work through that. James chapter number two, we're going to just read our text verses 20 uh, through 26 this evening. And uh, we'll open a word of prayer and, and go from there. James chapter number two, verse number 20, follow me as I read. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Would you join me in prayer this evening? Father God, I pray now that you would quiet our hearts and our minds. Pray that you would be pleased and glorified and magnified as your church has obediently come and gathered together under the authority of the headship of Christ to hear the inerrant and inspired word of God. Where else can we go, Lord? You alone have the words of life in a society and culture that is swirling with chaos and uncertainty. We thank you for a sure and steady anchor that is Christ that we can anchor our souls onto this evening and we can be uh, equipped with the word. I thank you that your, your word, even today in, in 2021, is, is profitable for us. It is relevant for our lives and it has the power to change us, to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you alone would do that work, that your spirit would stir our hearts and we would not be forgetful hearers, as James has warned us, but we would take action. We would hear and believe. We would hear and respond. We would we'd take a step of obedience as a result of the word being preached this evening. And, Father, I pray that you, again, would be glorified in our feeble efforts to obey to obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this evening's message is A Testimony of Real Faith. A Testimony of Real Faith. We have 
uh, talked about faith at length. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word faith, there's so many things that I can recognize in, in our culture where, where faith and that word and that term is just, it's just misunderstood, right? They're, they're, they're not coming to a biblical understanding, a definition of faith. It's, it carries in our time and our day very little meaning and depth. But we know this word faith, it absolutely should carry eternal weight. It should cause us to come into a place of contemplation. But we've seen it reduced to a mere emotional response, maybe to difficult times. We hear the phrase, just have faith. Is that a wrong phrase? Absolutely not. We would certainly encourage each other with the truth of that. But in our culture and society, are they really understanding what that means to just have faith? What does it look like and mean to have faith? So at best, it's become just an emotional response to hardship and difficulty. At worst, this idea and concept of faith has become a ticket to ride for a healthy, happy, and wealthy life. As seen in the heretical teaching coming out of the prosperity gospel movements. Have you seen it? Have you heard it? Whether it be the televangelists, whether it be these false teachers propagating a, a false gospel saying, hey, if you just have more faith, God would really work in your life. If you just believe a little bit harder, these difficult things, these diseases, these difficult, they would just go away because it's a lack of faith that has caused these hardships to come in your life. And we know that is not the truth of the word of God. This is an improper view of faith. So James, in, in our text, is attempting to recalibrate his readers away from these improper understandings of faith. They were present in his day, and these improper ideas and views of faith are present in our day. And so the stated goal of, of James 2, the stated goal of, of James as he's writing this letter is that we would understand and know and experience a living faith. A faith that is active, a faith that is real, a faith that is useful in this world that God has created. And do you long for that kind of faith? Do you hope for that kind of faith? Well, God's word absolutely says that that can be attained and can be experienced in our life. And I was talking with Andy and Dave during their elders meeting this week and I was, I was wrestling with some ideas that are presented in this text, and uh, we, we often roundtable different things that we're working through as we're preparing to preach, and um, I just am thankful for the Word of God this evening. We have talked about this great sola of the Reformation, sola fide, right? By faith alone. But one of the great solas that came out of the Reformation as well was sola scriptura, Right? By scripture alone. This was their only rule for faith and practice. And so as we, we come to maybe a challenging text or a, a difficult idea or concept or doctrine to really wrap our minds and our hearts around, we have to be anchored in that sola of the Reformation where we run not to our ideas, not to a, a, a theologian, not to... Uh, any other ideas other than the word of God 
That's why I prayed. Where, where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. So by scripture alone, this evening, we're going to work through this text. We're going to talk about difficult challenges between justification and faith and justification and works and the relationship to to all these moving pieces and how these things can be reconciled and there can be cohesion between these seeming challenges in the word of God, even between authors, different books of the Bible by God's grace. We're going to work through that this evening. So we look to scripture to define our terms. We look to scripture to guide our thinking on these topics. And we let scripture interpret scripture. This is the beauty of the word of God that we have old and a new Testament in cohesion, working together for the glory of God. And so that's absolutely what we're going to anchor on this evening. So what is a proper understanding of faith? What is true, living, active, authentic, real faith as we've attempted to uh, understand and learn about over the last few weeks? Well, uh, it, was, it was Andy, I believe, as we were working through some different topics through this week that he, he reminded me of, of Hebrews 11. And so uh, I'm going to go there myself. You should have your finger there. Hebrews 11, just a few pages over. Hebrews Chapter number 11, the hall of faith, right? This is often referred to. Verse number one, it gives us the most basic definition and understanding of faith. Now faith is what? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Isn't this the challenge of faith as as fallible human beings that, you know, we want to touch and feel and see and understand and know something from, from a material perspective. And, and faith is, it's not seen. It's, it's something that's, that's hoped for, but it is something that can be experienced and known. But let, let me get this right straight. It can be seen. It can be seen and it has been seen from generation to generation to generation by what? Good works. Faith comes alive and what was invisible now becomes visible through the obedience and the actions and the proper and right and godly choices of his people as they live life, as they interact in this world and they encounter trials and difficulties. The invisible becomes visible faith through good works. As we look at Hebrews chapter number 11, it is simply the testimony of Individual after individual that has rightly obeyed the word of God and has acted in obedience to the word and their invisible faith, their knowledge and belief and understanding of God and his word has come out. It is it is worked out through their life. And there is a testimony where their faith is alive and active. And there is a recording of that here in Hebrews chapter number 11. We're not going to work through all these verses, but I want to read a couple more just to give us uh, some additional understanding of faith. Verse 2 in Hebrews 11, for by it, faith, the people of old received their condemnation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So this is the challenge that we have in this 
postmodern humanistic society that we live in is how do we make the invisible visible? This is the task as believers that we have in front of us as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave his disciples the commission to go and do what? Make disciples. To share the good news that Jesus saves and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to teach them what? All things that I've commanded you, Jesus said. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we have faith here. The invisible becoming visible. And this is faith in motion. This is faith in action. This is a record of Exactly what James is contending for, a real and active faith, the faith that is not dead or foolish or useless, faith that is alive and breathing, has a heartbeat, that is the hands and feet of Christ in this world that he's, he's placed us in, that faith will absolutely be visible. As a reminder, the big idea of chapter two that we've been working through is to make a distinction between faith for salvation in faith that produces work. Salvation is secured by grace through faith. And true salvation will always produce Christ-likeness, which will be evidenced by works of mercy and compassion for the good of mankind and the glory of God. So just a quick review of last week. Last week we looked at two observations concerning real and authentic faith. We ran out of time and we didn't quite get to the one Observation of counterfeit faith. So we're going to use that as a springboard into these final few verses. So our first point this evening is going to come out of verse number 20. Look with me there. It's a, it's a challenging and bold question that James is going to offer his readers. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is, I love this, this word, useless. It's void of a purpose and meaning. And the observation that we have here out of verse number 20 is that counterfeit faith, apart from Christ, will always be foolish and void of eternal value. Counterfeit faith, apart from Christ, will always be foolish and void of eternal value. So what's James doing here at this point of his argument, right? He's circling back to this presence of this, this diatribe. It's this... Uh, this, this mock debate with a, uh, a, an invisible person, right? He's, he's using a literary technique here to make a point and to teach and, and to instruct his readers about faith. And he's drawing in this, this diatribe or this debate around faith and, and works. And so he's, he's making a, another bold statement in an attempt to what draw his readers in for them to listen through this, this final section on this topic of Faith and works. I don't know about you, but if I'm reading this letter for the first time and I'm coming across this question, do you want to be shown a foolish person? I'm kind of, whoa, you know, what's, what's going on here? And then he finishes that faith apart from works is useless. He's laying a foundation that he's going to now build additional facts and evidence that his teaching is accurate and true. So James doesn't mix words. He describes the fallacy of this worldview. And what was the worldview? Verse number 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. 
Right? There was a worldview out there that said, hey, we, we're all kind of arriving at the same destination, the same place. You have your faith. I have my works. We're both doing some good stuff. So let's just move on. No, James says that that is fallacy. That is error. And he is recalibrating their attention back to a proper understanding of faith. Faith cannot be redefined because it is already defined by the word of God. And that will stand for all time. Because truth cannot be redefined. It is not relative. It is absolute in the form of the inspired word of God. So he describes that faith. The self-deceived, self-proclaimed faith that is rooted in self. That faith is useless. Why is it useless? Why is it foolish? Because that faith is rooted in me. A faith that is rooted in ourselves 100% of the time is useless. It carries with it no eternal value. It is not able. A faith that is rooted in myself, my understanding, my definition of truth, my definition of faith, that is useless, it is foolish, it is void of eternal value. Why? Because I'm finite. I'm fallible. Therefore, it is foolish. How foolish it is for the creation to instruct the creator. How foolish it is for a self-proclaimed faith to attempt to redefine faith. How foolish it is for me to posture myself as fallible mankind before a holy God. How foolish it is for me to declare sovereignty over my own life and my own existence. This is the world that we live in. Self-proclaimed truth. Foolish it is, friends, as we consider the fallacy of this worldview for us to look at the broad expanse of our created universe and to think for one second that I have all the answers. How foolish it is for me to posture myself in, in that spirit of arrogance before a holy God and proclaim that I know. And your truth is wrong. I'm thankful this evening that I don't have to have all the answers, but I'm thankful that I, I know Sola Scriptura. Thankful that I have the source of all truth in the Word of God. Hundreds and thousands of years, this truth of the Bible has been followed and gloriously proclaimed. Jesus Christ. Been magnified. I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Paul, if you remember in Philippians chapter 3, he lists out all these things that he was. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, he was blameless. He had done all the things that society says that he should do to be um, at, at the upper echelon of his day. But even in that moment, Paul understands who is man. 
Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But Paul says this, but we have, who, what? The mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Our faith in Jesus Christ allows us to have his, his mind, our, his, his thinking, his, his heart, his disposition of humility before the world. So in God's wisdom, he has initiated faith in this way to be accompanied by good works and to produce good works, to make the invisible visible for the glory of God. So counterfeit faith apart from Christ will always be foolish and void of eternal value. Do you want to be shown a foolish man that faith apart from works is useless? And then verse 21, look with me there, of James chapter number two. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? James now shifts in presenting some additional evidence on this relationship between faith and works as present right here in our text. And and he's going to use this to build the case of of the previous teaching that he has just deployed. These are the case studies. These are the, the, the proof cases that we'll work through to validate his teaching and the truth that's been provided. So the second uh, point that we're going to look at this evening is that Abraham demonstrated an active faith through sacrificial obedience. Abraham demonstrated an active faith through sacrificial obedience. So as we look at these two examples, I'm sure that James could have used many others, but he chose Abraham and Rahab. Um, I'm sure Abraham would have been selected very intentionally. We know Abraham was the father of the Jews, um, the father of the, the Jewish religion, uh, Judaism, right? They, they would be very familiar and value a testimony of Abraham. So his, his Jewish audience would, would enjoy hearing about Abraham and, and James leveraging the life and testimony of Abraham in this, this teaching opportunity. So that's, that's exactly what he does, right? He, he uses this testimony of Abraham and he makes this statement in verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now for us as modern hearers and, and readers of the word of God, if you've been around proper teaching and been around good doctrine for any stretch of the imagination, we know that Uh, at least in our expression of evangelicalism, that statement makes us kind of squirm just a little bit, right? Because we do believe that we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, as Pastor Dave uh, so graciously read for us this evening. So this, this phrase, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar. So if you're like me, I'm saying, wait a second. <laughs> I thought we were proclaiming this entire time sola fide, right? By faith alone. Are we, are we jumping ship on that? Are we, we throwing that out the window? No, we're not, right? So, so let's, let's stick with the text and let's lean into this opportunity to understand exactly what James is calling our attention to. So how is Abraham justified by works? Some additional uh, verses that I'd like to just draw our attention to. And just so just so we're understanding the whole of the word of God on this topic, Paul clearly writes and seems to 
state the exact opposite of that in Romans 3.28. He says, for we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Excuse me, I misread that. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Which is it? Is Abraham justified by works? Or is, is Paul's uh, statement there that, that we hold that, that no one is justified by works, but only by faith alone? Let's get back to chapter 2, because context matters, right? And, and looking at these challenging things, and James helps us understand what he means in verse number uh, 21 by giving us verses 22 and 23. You see that faith was what active along with his works. And faith was completed, perfected, brought to completion by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God Right, let's read that again. Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. That would be looking back to Genesis chapter 15, right? Uh, where, where this was first introduced. So what was accounted to him as righteousness? It was Abraham's faith in God. And as a result, that justification allowed him to become a friend of God. He was changed. He was ushered out of darkness into light. This is saving faith that Abraham demonstrated. And, and that faith, that belief in God was counted to him as righteousness. And that changed his identity. Abraham, all of mankind, without Christ are describing the word of God as en in enmity with God. But God, being rich in mercy, allows us to be adopted out of that state. No longer an enemy, but now what? A friend of God. So it's interesting as we look at James' understanding of faith and works, that Paul, the one that everybody pins James against, actually uses this exact same illustration with this exact same person, Abraham, and comes to the exact same conclusion. Turn with me over to Romans chapter number four. Romans chapter number four, verse number one. Paul says, what then shall we say? was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But as his due. And the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, 
His faith is counted as righteousness. So Abraham, the one who expressed his, his, his faith and inward faith through outward obedience of sacrificing his son Isaac, that belief in God, in the one who justifies, that faith, that faith was counted to him as righteousness, which made it able to save. But the one who works, it's like a wage. It's, it's, it's a work for something to earn, something that you expect or something that you deserve. And so Abraham's action or his work or his faith that was placed in God, the God that he knew was, was able to justify the ungodly, that faith was effective to count him as righteous before a holy God. So both Paul and James, they both seem to be concerned with the quality of the faith that Abraham exercised. Was his faith self-proclaimed and self-serving? Was Abraham's faith anchored in himself and what he had done? As James has been discounting through this, uh, these verses in James chapter number, number two, is, was, was that the testimony of Abraham's life? Absolutely not. Abraham did not come to God on, on his own terms or attempt to leverage these works to earn grace in the eyes of God. But rather, Abraham believed God. If you still have your, your thumb over in the Hebrews chapter 11, turn back there with me again. We're going to look just a couple verses down as this gives another testimony of Abraham. Verse number 17 of Hebrews 11 says this about this exact uh, situation in the life of Abraham. Verse 17, this is the testimony of the author of Hebrews concerning Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered Isaac up. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, here it is. He considered Who's he? Abraham. Considered, believed that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham's faith justified. But his faith was expressed outwardly in radical obedience to the Lord. It was a work it was a belief that was, that was anchored in God, his character and his being. Abraham knew who God was, and as a result, he, he, his faith was expressed or, or worked out through radical obedience. And so what justified Abraham? Was it his works? Absolutely not. It was his faith. But his faith was proved to be real and active and alive and living through what? This outworking, a deed, a work, an action. So you remember back with me to some of our opening teaching on this 
relationship between faith and works. And remember, we'll, we called our attention the importance of the order of understanding faith and works. Authentic faith producing works or Christ-like deeds. Works alone can never produce authentic faith. However, faith alone will always produce grace-enabled works for the glory of God. Let me say that one more time. Works alone can never produce authentic and real and, and active and living and useful faith. Works alone can never do that. But faith alone will always produce grace-enabled works for the glory of God. Is that not what we saw in the life of Abraham through the testimony of Hebrews chapter number 11? Paul in Romans chapter number 4. James in chapter number 2 right here in our text. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that belief in God drove Abraham to exercise radical obedience for the glory of God. It was Abraham's faith that produced this obedience. It was, it was this obedience that proved out that Abraham truly was a justified sinner. And not just one who said the right things and did the right things. Abraham was changed because of his faith in Christ. Therefore, it produced radical obedience. And he was shown to be right with God. He was a friend of God. Love that. This is the opportunity that faith presents for us. So verse number 22, his faith was active along with his works. And his faith was completed by his works. His faith was proved out to be real authentic. Why? Because again, it was active and living. Abraham's faith and our faith without the presence of grace-enabled fruit, excuse me, James says we should be in absolute 100% doubt of our faith. If we can look at, at the vine and the branches of our life and we don't, we don't see faith working out, these works that were prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them, if we're not walking in good works, if we're not obeying the Lord, if we're not following His Word, if we're not concerned about our relationship with the Lord in that way, should we proclaim, hey, I'm a believer. I know the Lord. James says, hold on, time out. Faith without works is dead. And a dead faith has no eternal value for us because we are still in our sin. This third and final point that we'll quickly look at this evening Rahab, this example of Rahab, Rahab validated her verbal confession despite personal risk. If you remember last week, our, our observation of authentic faith was what? Authentic faith always moves beyond verbal and or mental assent. Do you remember it? It's not just words that come out of our mouth or knowledge in our, in our head. Remember, James pointed these Jewish, uh, these Jewish readers to the, the reminder of the Shema, that the, the, the Lord is one. They understood doctrine. They understood some good and right things about the Lord, but that doesn't save, remember? We worked through this. And so James pulls in this example of Rahab that falls in line with this, this observation of real and authentic faith that it always moves beyond verbal and or mental 
ascends. I love that James uses the testimony of Rahab for more than one reason. I think we have an extreme testimony of, of Rahab being um, having a, a challenging background, right? <laughs> Regardless of that background, Rahab was used by the Lord. Rahab was loved and was the specific person in that specific time that God chose to use for his glory. I think there's a little bit of a sidebar right here that no matter what your background, no matter what your challenging testimony may be as well, God can redeem. God can absolutely 100% use you for his glory in this world. There is no one who has strayed too far. There is no one who has committed too deep of a sin that God's grace cannot heal. I look at the testimony of Rahab and I celebrate Rahab. I celebrate God's work and redemption of Rahab. I think of that song that we sing, His mercy is more, our sins. There are many, His mercy is more. We sing grace unmeasured this evening, grace abounding, strong and true that makes me long to be, that's, that's an active, living, useful faith. Long to be like whom? Jesus. To produce true, authentic faith produces Christ-likeness that will be worked out by deeds of compassion and mercy in this world. Makes me long to be like you. It turns me from my selfish pride to love the cross on which you died. Beautiful truths. Thankful for these rich songs Andy and Dave often lead us through. So what is it then, friends, as we're trying to be conscious of time here that, uh, that, that was used in the life of Rahab to validate her verbal confession despite personal risk. Let's turn over to Joshua chapter number two. Joshua chapter number two. This is the, uh, the story of Rahab. We won't... Um, we won't look at all of the verses here in, in the entire story, but uh, I think there is some value in us um, just looking at the, this middle section where I'm, I'm kind of getting my, my, my core crux of the point. Looking at verse number nine of Joshua chapter two, or verse eight, we'll start. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Here's her, her, her creed, her, her testimony, her, her knowledge, her mental and verbal assent. 
Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab got it right. Did she not? She nailed it on her doctrinal statement. She, she got it right in her, her creed and her testimony of a belief in her heart. She knew the right things about God, but Rahab's faith, it didn't stop there, did it? She took action on that belief, that, that belief in God moved her to, to work out her faith in taking a step of faith, literally. Despite personal risk, Rahab knew that herself and her entire family was going to be placed in danger as a result of walking in faith. So Rahab validated her faith despite personal risk. Authentic faith always goes beyond verbal, mental, ascent. True authentic faith is not meant to stay on the pages of textbooks and creeds. It's not meant to stay in the archives and memories of our hearts and our minds. It's not meant to be hypocritically proclaimed from the rooftops that draws attention to ourselves in a spirit of a pride. True and authentic faith is meant to be lived out in the trials and testings of life. It's meant to be an anchor for our souls in the midst of persecution. True, real, authentic faith that is alive and active and useful. It's meant to be the resolve of our choices in the midst of uncertainty, just like it was in the life of Rahab. This, friends, is how Rahab validated a living and breathing faith. She didn't stop with just proclaiming some good and right things about God, but rather that deep conviction and belief that faith moved Rahab. It moved her to action, and so she trusted and she obeyed. So James finishes this, this thought in this chapter by circling back again to the thesis statement. And he, he states it once again to finish out the chapter, verse number 26. Verse number 26, he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. For sake of time, we'll assume that we've got the understanding of that verse as it's been revisited throughout the latter half of chapter 2. But what about you? What about you? Consider your faith. There is such a thing as a dead faith. Faith that is deceived, a faith that is self-proclaimed. James says it is, it is dead. It is a dead faith. There is such thing as a demonic faith. Verse number 19, even the demons believe and shudder. There is a faith with 
adjective in front of it that is not real, inauthentic, that has no eternal value, and, and we don't want that faith. James doesn't want his, his, his readers to be deceived by thinking they have real faith, but yet it is dead. It is void of works. It is lacking in eternal value. It's foolish. Is your faith rooted in Christ? If it is, if your faith is in Christ, it will produce Christ-likeness, which will be evidenced by works of mercy and compassion for the good of mankind and the glory of God. I wonder, has God encouraged, challenged, maybe even recalibrated your understanding of the relationship between faith and works? We're going to talk about that in our A&I time with the remaining time that we have. I hope that God will cause you to go to his word and that you will value it maybe in a new and or maybe renewed type of way as we understand the beauty of faith that saves and works that make the invisible visible. Let's close in a little prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We love you. I pray as David and we in the final song, let it be said, love us. I pray that this would be the banner of our life, that this would be the declaration of our heart, that it would be a desire that would be true of us, so much so that we would go and, and be changed by your grace and by the power of your spirit, that we would be different in the home, we would be different in our marriages, we would engage differently in our neighborhood, in our workplaces. Father, I pray that you would, you would do that work.